0: I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations. There's a great Warren Buffett quote. That sounds redundant, doesn't it? His quotes are frequently great. But this one was on CNBC back in 2011. The world, there's always uncertainty, said Buffett. Now the question is, what do you do with your money? Buffett may have been talking about public markets, even personal investing. But even on the institutional side, given that we are continually surrounded by uncertainty and given that stuffing cash under a mattress, while relatively certain, carries no financial return, how should today's institutional investors think about uncertainty? More specifically, is there a way to consider uncertainty, use it as an investing philosophy to drive outsized returns? And if so, where can we turn for a guide? It turns out there is a small group of long horizon end investors who consistently perform well in private markets. Their superior performance in this area of investing has contributed heavily to their overall superior long-term performance. That group is endowments. And if investing into uncertainty feels like a potentially uncomfortable approach, it's also one that Daniel Fader has discussed, practiced, and succeeded with for years – Fader is the Managing Director of Private Markets at the Washington University Investment Management Company. That's the group that runs the endowment for Washington University in St. Louis. Previously, Fader served as Managing Director of Private Markets for the Sequoia Capital Heritage Fund, an endowment-style investment fund sponsored by Sequoia Capital. He also served as Senior Investment Manager in the Endowment Services Area at TIAA-CREF and Managing Director at Princeton University Investment Company, the investment office for Princeton University's endowment, where Dan led the development of a $4 billion global private equity and venture capital portfolio, Dan, Thanks for joining me. Before we get into your philosophy and approach, as you've put it elsewhere, with endowment investing, we're, we're talking about a small group of long horizon end investors. Why is this group relevant for the rest of us?
1: Well, I think there's some some important lessons that can be taken from uh, the, the practices of, of this group of endowments. And uh, in, in particular, it, there, there are lessons that can be be taken as far as what investors ought to do and, and also what what they ought not to do. And um, there, there are some real advantages that uh, endowments have as a source of capital or, or pool of capital, and chief among those advantages is time horizon. And so most investors, whether they're individuals or institutions, have – relatively finite uh, time horizons. Endowments, in theory, are supposed to last forever, uh, which is as long as their institutions are supposed to last, and they are supposed to provide support for those institutions across generations in an equitable way, but at the end of the day uh, do have this luxury of an infinite or indeterminate time horizon.
0: And so let's get into then a little bit of the the philosophy. One one key idea that you've talked about. And, you know, it it relates, um, you know, I guess, to the to the open time or the long time horizon. And, and we'll get into that. Um, but but it's this idea of investing into uncertainty. So uh, let's start with a definition, uh, make sure we're all kind of using the same terms and understand what we're what we're talking about. What is uncertainty? Because it's different from risk, isn't it?
1: Right. And so just to clarify, with respect to to time horizon, one of the the great advantages of having a very, very long time horizon is that you care a little bit less or maybe a lot less about near-term volatility. And and risk is generally defined as volatility. So if we look at uh, modern portfolio theory or or pretty much any measure of risk as as it's commonly used, uh, what underpins those definitions is, is volatility. And uh, with a very long time horizon, like I mentioned, you, you're concerned more about what happens at the beginning and the end of an investment period, and you can actually run toward or, or take advantage of, of near-term volatility. So what risk is, and these are really not original thoughts on my part, it's, uh, it's an articulation that, that came about and really struck me uh, from an economist named Frank Knight, who in 1921 wrote his dissertation for his PhD uh, on the topic and uh, published a, a work called "Risk, Uncertainty, and Profit"? Uh,
0: and, of course, you, uh, you you don't remember that 1921 publishing date personally. right?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. there. I, I'm a little bit long in the tooth, but um, I don't have I don't have that sort of time horizon either. Yeah. In the in I mean, the that's a, that's a long
0: time <laughs> horizon,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but. Uh, as with, with probably everything that I, that occurs to me, it's um, probably good ideas stolen from elsewhere. But Frank Knight did a, an excellent job of uh, defining what risk is and what it is not, and what uncertainty is and what it is not. And at the end of the day, uncertainty is is, is quite a bit different than risk, and those two terms are are often confused with one another. Risk is is really based on assessments of what you think the future might be, based on things that you've observed in the past. And Uncertainty involves uh, looking into the future and not having uh, anything that's observable on which to, uh, to base your prediction. Uh, so probably the more concise definition around the difference was provided by Donald Rumsfeld, who uh, famously said there are known knowns, unknown Knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns, and so what we're talking about here with uncertainty are unknown unknowns, and what you're, what's involved with risk are more around the known unknowns or unknown knowns. So that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of, uh, of um, sort of a tongue twister around uh, knowns and unknowns, but um, essentially with uncertainty, we're looking at things and trying to traffic in an area where the market doesn't know something and really is not capable of knowing it. And if we can harness the power of investing well in that area, we ought to have a sustainable advantage in seeking out true economic profits. And that's really at the heart of what Frank Knight argued, that the the only way to have durable economic profit is to be able to traffic consistently in the world in which uh, you're, you're acting on, um, information that is not known and not knowable by others
0: and so make that tangible for me what, what does that mean? I mean when you talk about investing into uncertainty and and you talk about these unknown unknowns can of do you have an example or, or you, you, what does that mean to in invest into that area
1: right so um, maybe we can take it out of investing and and, and talk about something that may be um, more accessible to To everyone, which is you know, what are some examples of unknown unknowns? and if we if we look at an artist or, um, or a poet or what have you, it, it they are creating something that nobody in the world knows about and is not knowable until it's produced. So how does that apply to investing? Well, the extreme example would reside most likely in the world of venture capital uh, and if you take the case of somebody who is inventing a technology or is inventing a company based on a technology, that person or group of people are doing something that is not known to the rest of the world and is really not knowable. And a good venture capitalist would be in a position to partner with a, an entrepreneur or a, a, um, or a scientist who's made a discovery to uh, work and create a, a company. And while that's going on, that activity is really not observable by the rest of the market, is not accessible by the rest of the market, and it's really not knowable until it emerges. In private equity, there are opportunities maybe to a lesser degree uh, to traffic in the world of uncertainty. So if we take the case of an established company that is held in private hands and a private equity manager is helping to reorient strategy or... uh, execute on an, an acquisition, those are activities, again, that are outside the, the knowledge of the market and are not really knowable uh, and therefore give an advantage to the investor if they are effective as, at investing and executing uh, around creating profit.
0: So for an outsider like me, you know, I think about endowments, I think about universities, and my bias, you know, would, would be... Um, Uh, you know, to, to, to to generalize, my bias would be to think of them as very conservative uh areas very conservative institutions they have reputations they have future students that they uh need to provide for or buildings and and that sort of thing and and what you're describing you know investing actively into uncertainty you know going to uh the chief investment officer or or you know other leaders of a university and saying hey I've got a great idea um you know I I'm going to invest uh, actively and aggressively uh, into a a bunch of assets that I really can 't don 't have great no one has great insight into it feels counterintuitive. Um, so, so talk to me about that. What, what does it, you know, is it, is it counterintuitive or, or is it not? And, and what does it take? What type of, of, maybe it's almost governance, but what type of personality, um, and, and what type of governance does it take, um, to, to an open-mindedness almost, I would think, to, uh, um, you know, to go down this road?
1: Yeah. So I'd say the, the, the reaction that you're, you're summarizing, um, would say that, Going into a world of uncertainty is counterintuitive um, and therefore uh, undesirable. I'd say that the that reaction is maybe not counterintuitive, but is is conventional. And what what you're articulating, I think, is something which could be summarized as uh, as a as a phrasing of, well, gee, that sounds really risky. And my point would be, well, no, it's not. We're not talking about risk at all. We're talking about uncertainty. So, um, and yes. It it might be risky um, by by conventional risk measures, and so what we are what what was required in order to go forward into a into a set of investment opportunities where you're telling a board or a a a chief investment officer, if you're someone sitting in my seat, let's go do this thing that involves backing a a fund manager or or backing a group. that is is investing based on um, some informed opinion about what might happen, and is is doing that based on information that we think the rest of the world uh, isn't privy to. Um, but you really can't measure ex ante what you think the outcome might be with precision or with false precision. Um, and so, in terms of governance, what that requires is um, really a, a a board or or a, uh, an organizational construct that understands the, the concept and yeah. and is um, is comfortable with the sort of discomfort that comes along with uh, operating in a world that is, as they say, uncertain.
0: Yeah, com- comfortable with discomfort. Um, right. So you've you've had uh, you know a a pretty. Nice career so far, you know different opportunities at different universities. Where a, a, apparently, if you've, you you know, put into practice what you preach, which uh, you know I know you have, uh, you've had uh, uh, situations where you have been able to be surrounded and working with folks who uh, can get some comfort around uh, the uncomfortable. In your now, as you look broadly in across the endowment spectrum, uh, how? common or rare is that? Did you kind of just get lucky at Princeton and lucky at uh, WashU and, and at your other situations or, or do you, do you see that openness as you look across the endowment landscape?
1: Um, so university endowments, I think are, are maybe not uniquely positioned in this regard, but are um, maybe, um, almost uniquely positioned with respect to the sort of environment that has to be in place for uh, an institution to be comfortable with with discomfort. So at a university endowment, if if governance is set up uh, well or properly, you really don't have very many agency issues lying around. So uh, everyone from the, the trustees through an investment committee, through the CIO, through people on the investment staff, are generally there for one reason, which is to make the endowment excellent. Uh, And there aren't other agendas running around um, with respect to self-enrichment or career paths or what have you. So that in and of itself is a a huge advantage. Now, that being said, not every endowment, um, I suspect, has that sort of governance in place um, in terms of harnessing the the power of, of that alignment of interests, uh, within the organization. Um, but, it, but it's there for the taking and whether I've been lucky, I, yeah, I, I've been incredibly fortunate at Princeton that it, that, that dynamic existed, uh, quite clearly. And at WashU, um, I believe it's here as well. So, um, we yeah, incredibly fortunate to be in places where, uh, we can invest in ways that are, Irrational, and where agency issues and friction around agency issues are really at a minimum.
0: How does all of this relate to asset allocation? Uh, I mean, you've talked about uh, you know, VC, you've talked about uh, private equity, um, but, but going kind of more broadly as you think about, for example, real estate or, or other types of assets, how, how, just talk to me about this approach and uh, how you think about asset allocation.
1: Right, so it's, um, this is where there's a a natural tension that that comes into play. So asset allocation, which is uh, really uh, very important in uh, constructing long horizon portfolios, is an exercise that, by definition, involves using risk as a a measure of how you allocate among various asset classes. And with uncertainty, you're you're definitively saying there's a there's a big difference, and uncertainty is quite a bit different than risk. So how do you incorporate? Uh, an area of investing into a construct that is defined by risk measures. So, if we take modern portfolio theory, where you would typically do a mean-variance optimization among asset classes, the the factors that come into play are expected return, volatility, and correlation. And you know, volatility is you know is a risk measure that um, requires that you look into the past and as well as correlations. You look into the past and make some prediction on the, of the future based on those observations, um, and you're therefore in the, the realm of you know, going back to Rumsfeld, the known unknowns. And um, the way I think the bridge between the two works is that um, you, you reserve space, and it's as much behavioral space, uh, for strategies that involve going after Opportunities that are not well defined in terms of uh, observable phenomena in the past, but that the asset allocation process itself puts some guardrails around that activity, so that um, you don't have uh, you're not overly arrogant about your ability to to do well in a, in a environment that, by definition, is uncomfortable and also requires uh, a, a leap of faith in terms of whether you do it well.
0: And so, to, to summarize some of this, I, I know that that so you have a philosophy, and and a philosophy is is one thing, um, but making it work, of course, is another. And and so you've really you've talked about these you know quite a bit um, in, in this conversation. But how would you summarize it in a sense? What, what is required? What are the, 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 the let's say three elements that are required to effectively implement this approach to endowment investing?
1: But well, now you're gonna make me come up with three. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, so, long time uh, horizon obviously is is one. Yeah, long time horizon
1: is a long time horizon is critically important. Uh, governance, which we've talked about, is, is quite important, and then execution is is critically important as well. So, how do you go about finding investment opportunities? How do you go about selecting uh, among thousands of potential opportunities that come across? Our desks uh, over the course of a year um, across asset classes, and there are certainly hundreds and hundreds that come come through uh, unsolicited, and some uh, you know, some referred uh, in the private markets area. And you know, as a as a starting point, what we're trying to do is we are trying to find um, smart, creative people who are good investors who will figure things out as they go along, and um, that's, you know, that sounds nice, but how do you, how do you, how do you define that? And, um, you know, there are a number of ways that we, we go at it. One of the most important ways for us is, um, is something that is either born out of laziness or, um, organizational, um, efficiency. And that is, we pretty much only invest and in, uh, pretty much I, I mean, maybe completely, um, only invest with groups with whom we have some information that is differentiated. So, um, you know, to put it in uh, maybe politically incorrect terms, you know, we don't go home with strangers. So um, the fund managers with, with whom we, we, we partner and, and the investment groups with whom we partner, um, they in every case are referred to us by somebody else that is, uh, is a close partner and someone with whom we have... Uh, placed a lot of trust. So uh, we use information networks um, quite a bit, and those networks are, we think, differentiated and you know, perhaps unique to us.
0: Yeah, and and that would make sense. I mean, you've got a, you you create, and that's part of the, the pre-work. I mean, when you describe this, some of it feels, and and it was interesting to me, you, you compare it to uh, an artist and the, you know, the unknown uh, or the uncertainty of what the uh, uh, you know what the end product might be, but within that uncertainty uh you 're still controlling you know the artist is still controlling i guess to to take your uh, metaphor still controlling in, in, with the the items that that he or she can can control, whether you know the medium the 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 devices the the paint or whatever you know whatever uh, he or she uses to to create um, and and it feels like similarly. Uh, you know, you control, it would, it would make sense if you have a trusted information network, um, that, that, that would, you know, if you're going to go down this road, uh, that would help, uh, you know, make the time horizon or make the access, uh, quicker and give you maybe a, a higher degree of trust or, or confidence. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm getting back into the, this risk versus uncertainty question. It, I guess that even a differentiated information network, it, uh, may reduce your risk, uh, because you're working with folks who, you, in whom you have confidence and, in, in a relationship and you know, but I guess it doesn't actually reduce this, the, the lack of uncertainty, does it?
1: Right. So what we're, we're trying to do is, as I said, we're, we're trying to partner with, with people or with groups that, uh, are effective in executing on information or in places where the rest of is the the rest of the world doesn't know and, and where the rest of the world can't know what they are doing. Uh and you know it's not that we're doing this completely naively. Uh we do we do need to have a point of view about where we want to be and we use those same information networks to uh to inform that as well. So whether it means uh an investment theme that we ought to emphasize or a geography where uh, investment opportunities may be a little bit richer than others uh, we, use, we use that information network as well and uh, you know you, you started out with a, a quote from Warren Buffett and um, you know we, we in terms of you know, selecting things to do uh, we rely on uh, two other great philosophers one is Wayne Gretzky and the other is We Willie Keeler uh, you know Wayne Gretzky <laughs> was, was uh, famously you know talked about the notion of skating to where the puck will be not to where it is
0: yeah Yes, um,
1: but yes. you know that, that that's all that's all well and good. But we also, I think, um, need to um, adhere to Wee Willie Keeler's wisdom, which is you know, hit them where they ain't. Um, and it, it turns out that um, where they ain't is often where things are uncertain.
0: Yeah, uh, terrific. So if the if the endowment investing thing doesn't work out. Uh, there's a, a sports management role just just waiting for you, uh, and uh, I assume that you'll be uh, you would be equally as successful in in, in that endeavor. Daniel Fader is uh, managing director uh, of private markets at uh, the Washington University Investment Management Company. That is the group that runs the endowment for Washington University uh, in St. Louis. Dan, thank you so much for your time. I'm Chris Reback. This is Working Capital Conversations.